Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. I'll also observe this is episode 523. It's kind of my birthday episode because I was born on 523. Oh. This will only happen once yeah. in our lifetime, so I have to acknowledge <laughs> it. Well, no pressure. We'll just have to make the most out of this episode. I have to wait until 817. That's really not fair. <laughs> We're not hitting We're going to make it. Yeah. We're going to make it. I have to make it to 1219. Oh, oh wow. that's definitely not happening. Wow. That's, yeah, no. Sorry, Laura. We missed Eric's 100 episodes ago. I know. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Silently, I think. We'll have to see if you... It'd be funny if you weren't on that episode. Now we got to look and see what was happening on <laughs> that episode. Gone. Anyway, on this episode, we are going to celebrate my... Wait, no. Neville's birthday by doing a deep dive character discussion on the alternate chosen one. And we're going to have a discussion about what if Neville was the chosen one after all. And ever since we decided to discuss this, my mind's been racing with ideas. It's a fun thing to think about. So we'll talk about that. Can you imagine all of those book titles... Neville Longbottom and the Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> I can say with almost absolute certainty that I never would have gotten into the series if they were called Longbottom. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Potter's not the most exciting name. No, either. yeah. Potter's a little cheesy, I guess, if you think oh, Harry Potter, but Longbottom. Yeah, absolutely not. I was way too self-conscious to read a, a, a book that with bottom on the title by the way eric's birthday episode was our wizards unite review that's fun oh yeah that's i remember that well i was gonna say we're doing this discussion to coincide with neville's birthday which is july 30th he was actually born before harry so i guess we can say in that regard uh he was first <laughs> Whereas throughout the rest of the series, he kind of tends to feel second to Harry. Um, So he won that one. He won the birthday contest. But I thought that since Neville and Harry's birthdays play such a role in marking them as the potential chosen one, we should start by refreshing ourselves on the prophecy that marked these two characters. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, that Sybil Trelawney has joined us to Give us a rendition of the prophecy. Yes, hello, Laura. Hello, I am here for Andrew's birthday episode. I will now recite <laughs> my prophecy. The one with the power to vanquish a dark lord approaches. Born to those who have thrice defied him. Born as the seventh month dies. And the dark lord will mark him as his equal. But he will have power the dark lord knows not. And neither must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord will be born as the seventh month dies. And uh, Andrew's voice has now died. <laughs> Do we get healthcare on this show? I just ruined my voice, and now I need to see a doctor. <laughs> yeah, man. No, this this Do you is need some water. Some this is America, drops? Andrew. You're not guaranteed healthcare. <laughs> There Come must be there must be like podcasters insurance like voice voice insurance for podcasters yeah. that must be a Let's thing look you into can that. pay for. There should be. I'm going to a podcasting conference in a couple of weeks. I'll investigate. <laughs> yeah. So to kick us off, I thought that we could dig a little bit into the notion that Voldemort could have chosen Neville. I mean, really what this prophecy came down to was Voldemort's choice. It didn't uh, you know, more substantially make Harry the chosen one, you know, any more than Neville. It really came down to Voldemort 
seeing himself in Harry as a half-blood, right? Um, But what if he had chosen Neville? Do we think that a similar situation would have played out specifically with regard to Alice sacrificing herself to save her son? And what could Neville's power, the Dark Lord knows not of, have been? Harry's was his mother's love. Would it have been the same for Neville? You would hope it would be the same. Yeah. I tend to, when I do this in my head, it's it's basically that like Frank and Alice then die because Vold- nothing short would of that would allow, you know, Voldemort to have attacked Neville uh, or marked him. And then Bellatrix and Barty Crouch Jr. and all of them would have been sent to the Potters. Um, so like if you do that switcheroo, it may end up that Lily and James are the ones who are in St. Mungo's then that Neville discovers Harry's tragic past in year five. The other thing that's interesting is Frank and Alice were ours. Lily and James were yeah. not. Um, so Frank and Alice were, I guess, more officially, uh, you know, anti-dark wizard, uh, you know, catchers. And I find it so sad that they've, you know, sort of lost that encounter and Neville had to grow up not really being able to speak with them. Mm. I think Alice would have sacrificed herself though. We see just how close their relationship is in St. Mungo's with her giving Neville the uh, gum wrappers sort of as a sign of affection. But And of course, there were loads of theories back in the day that Alice was in fact giving Neville clues, but he wasn't really um, reading into it the way that he should have, but that got debunked by J.K. Rowling. But I, I think given the fact that they were tortured the way that they were, um, there's no reason to think that they wouldn't have sacrificed themselves. Um, Frank also, um, you know, he was yeah. he was tortured into insanity, and and both of them, many would argue, suffered a, a fate worse than death in the fact that they're now yeah. both insane and can't even recognize really uh, their own son. Yeah, yeah. And I think it also raises the question: Who has it worse, Neville or Harry? Neither of them ever really got to know their parents because Harry's are dead. Neville's are, you know, have been driven to insanity. But at least Harry doesn't have to watch them live out their days in a hospital. Right. I hesitate. I hesitate to make an argument either way of who had it worse because they both get sort of a short straw. But I will say Neville did have his extended family to remind him of what he was or what he wasn't. And Harry also just never really had that because his relations, the Muggle Dursleys, never embrace this magical side of him. So I would hope that, you know, things would be different with Harry, like if it but he still would have been just as neglected with the Dursleys. He just wouldn't have been as famous or as special to the wizards. And it would, you know, when you it's it's exciting to analyze this from a Neville perspective, but it's kind of depressing to think about what Harry's life would have been without being the chosen one. I wonder if the predictions of the prophecy could have been fulfilled if Voldemort tortured Neville's parents into insanity, like what happened in the Harry Potter books. And then they were still hospitalized like they were in the Harry Potter books. And then we see Neville throughout the series, and this is getting into our discussion later already, but we see Neville throughout the series, series constantly going back to his parents 
And mm. you would just see these scenes in which he wants to, A, communicate with them and, you know, just go through all that. But also, B, just be like, I will avenge you, mom and dad. I will right this wrong. Do we think if they were tortured and not killed, the prophecy still would have been fulfilled? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I mean... absol- absolutely to the prophecy, because he still would have, I think... I tend to think that the marking him as his equal is less about Lily's love and more about the accidental Horcrux scenario. Yes. Um, Lily's love was the part that Voldemort was, well, he had too much hubris to even imagine that something like that could exist. mm -hmm. Um, And I think it also plays into Voldemort's hubris that he didn't just try to kill both Harry and Neville. He was so sure who it was. Yeah, they were both identified as options. And I'm kind of, you know, not that I'm a dark wizard or anything, but I'm like, if you're really that threatened by these infants, why would you just pick one? Like, it's such a reflection of Voldemort's arrogance, I guess, arrogance, ignorance. I mean, didn't he send Bellatrix to take care of the Longbottoms with the understanding that the kid would die because, like, they weren't taking any chances? He did, it's just that he didn't do it himself. I don't right? know if we even know that the Longbottoms were with Neville because it's mm. always struck me as odd that the Longbottoms got tortured in this way, but that Neville apparently didn't. So I don't well, know if I he was with he, his grandmother at the time yeah. and they were off on a ministry mission. I always thought he did get tortured as a kid because that's why he's so forgetful. Have we had that confirmed or is it? Uh, I would yeah, yeah, probably not. But that was definitely kind of my thought process was that he was present when they were there. I, I think we may talk a little bit more about this later, but I think for Neville, his forgetfulness may be in large part due to how he was raised by his grandmother and his great uncle. And it's not all that dissimilar from how Petunia and Vernon raise Harry, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. We can make a lot of comparisons there. For Um, sure. Both of them, you know, in in effect, are orphans, right? Um, Neville is orphaned because of the state of his parents' condition. Harry is obviously orphaned with Voldemort killing James and Lily. And then they're both kind of raised in very similar types of, of situations, we may not look at it that way because we view, you know, Neville is, or or we view Augusta and the family of the Longbottoms to be more on the good side. But just because they're on the good side doesn't mean they did a good job raising Neville. Yeah, right? and perhaps we kind of give Augusta a little bit of a pass as readers because ultimately she does come around, right? Yeah. But we never really get to see that from the Dursleys. I mean, we heard about it, you know, after the fact through interviews with the author where she confirmed that Harry and Dudley would, you know, send polite Christmas cards. But that's all we got. So there wasn't really much redemption there as much as there was for Augusta. Mm. Um, Something I thought was interesting, you know, looking into signs. Neville is a Leo. I know that we bring this up with all the birthday discussions. I know we have some critics on the panel, myself included. I don't take this stuff super seriously. Hey, I'm a Leo. I love these. (laughs) But (laughs) I think, you know, 
these stories were written and plotted very intentionally. And I don't think that anyone was given a birthday by accident, just like a lot of names are not done by accident in these books. And I was reading about Leo's and um, it said Leo is ruled by the sun, the dazzling celestial body that governs life and vitality. The sun never goes retrograde. And likewise, Leos are renowned for their stability, loyalty, and consistency. Mm-hmm. 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 So I thought it was interesting that the two main Leos, Neville and Harry, are effectively named in the prophecy before they were born, kind of sharing, showing that neither of them really has a choice about their destiny. And I'm wondering if assigning them as Leos was kind of an additional literary allusion to neither of them ever really getting a break. Oh, I like that a lot. Poor guys. <laughs> Not to mention they were both Gryffindors, uh, yep. the Leo house, the lion house. Yeah. And loyalty is definitely one of Neville's stronger characteristics, I would argue. We see it even as early as Sorcerer's Stone. Right. Well, we know that he, after the core books, went on to marry Hannah Abbott, who is someone who we've heard mentioned in the books, but we haven't gotten too, too much exposition on her. Um, But we know that she's a Hufflepuff. She joined Dumbledore's army. She also served as a prefect and she fought in the Battle of Hogwarts. So I think that she's pretty in line with Neville's values. Um. Something that I noted while doing research for this episode is that Hannah, while um, she was struggling with stress related to her owl exams in year five, broke down crying during a herbology lesson and was sobbing that she was too stupid to take exams and wanted to leave school now. (laughs) Definitely been there. So I feel you, Hannah. Um, But in my head canon, I like to imagine that Neville saw Hannah struggling and attempted to help her in some way, which led to their eventual romance. Mm. That is a nice little tie in with herbology. Yeah. Yeah. I think the fact that she it was in herbology. Yeah. Feels to me like, again, it was very intentional because that's Neville's best subject. Right. I'm wondering, do we think that it would have been a positive addition to the books to see more representation of Hannah? Yeah, absolutely. I I feel that way about all the female characters in Harry Potter. I think they should have gotten more to do or more, more, we should have seen them more. In terms of Hannah, I guess it would have contributed to Neville's growth. If we saw Neville and Hannah together in the books, maybe that would have given us the opportunity to see some confidence grow within Neville. Because you would think that if someone who's insecure, clumsy, etc. enters a healthy relationship he'd see that people can view him as a good and talented person. It would change how he feels about himself. It actually would have been really funny because it was during year five, like towards the end of the year. Um, Harry had just sort of had his unsuccessful like uh, romance with Cho to then see Neville actually succeed at starting to date and stuff be- sort of be- in the years like between five and six before Harry does yeah. to see him like dating. And then we also would have gotten a lot of more things about inner house unity like mm. hannah and neville would would have started hanging out and maybe the trio would have been invited to like you know a, a mixer of some sort <laughs> get that hufflepuff representation Eric. yeah i know we <laughs> gotta have more of that i'm, I'm all for also, it neville though i mean he's he's a man ahead of his time though you're comparing him to harry but he actually is the one who kind of dips his toe in the water a little bit when it comes to um asking out people for the yule ball Yep. Yes, he does. Yeah, he asks Hermione, right? Yeah. 
And I admire that about him. He saw a smart female friend of his who he really admired and he shot a shot with her and she, you know, politely turned him down. But I think in an alternate reality, Neville and Hermione could be a really good pairing, actually. Yeah, we all know how much courage it takes to ask somebody out to a dance on a date for the first time. Yeah, Harry could barely do it. Right. You know? Yeah, Andrew, you turned me down. (laughs) (laughs) That was for the show. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) We couldn't. I think Laura's, one of Laura's lessons today, too, is that if you ever see a crush struggling with herbology, swoop in and help out. Yeah, that's the time. how much Neville Hermione fan fiction exists? I don't know of any prominent ones, but it definitely does exist. It's absolutely a pairing that you can find categories for on most major fan fiction sites. Hevel or Nermione? What is it called? He- I would vote I Hevel. like Nermione. Oh, really? Wrong bottom? <laughs> Nermione? <laughs> but it reminds me of nerd. Langer? Yeah. Yeah, but that sounds lame. <laughs> War- warrants further. Is any ship name uh, not lame? Hevel's bad, yeah, too. Yeah, kind R- of are. rolls off the... Well, not the time. It does. <laughs> yeah. That's because it's, I think, depending on the writer, it can be well done. So thinking about the fact that we know that some of the major relationships in the books were planned pretty much for the entirety of the story arc, like we know Ron and Hermione were intended from a writing perspective to end up together. Do we think that it was the plan all along that Hannah and Neville would end up together? Or did the idea just sort of evolve as the series neared its end? It was convenient. They were two single characters. Hannah hadn't had very much character exposition, so she was an easy character to pair off with somebody. Or do you think there might have been a little more intentionality behind that? Hmm. Well, we find these other remnants of factoids about Hannah Abbott's character and and also in what's been revealed that she does after Hogwarts. She becomes the landlady of the Leaky Cauldron. That's right. And she and Neville actually live above the Leaky Cauldron. And just the random idea that these various spatterings of facts exist and have been put out into the world of somebody who I don't think really has even a line in the Harry Potter books shows that there was some probably in like a, a dropped plot a lot more to do with Hannah specifically. So I I, th- I would err on the side of it was planned. Yeah, mm. I think yeah. that's pretty solid. I do think, though, and I know we're about to talk uh, about this as it relates to the movies, but for moviegoers, it probably did make more sense to pair up Luna and Neville because they were actually getting the screen time versus right. Hannah. We may have gotten her once or twice throughout the course of the entire series. And so it just wouldn't have made sense. Uh, Not that it was even needed, to be honest with you. I I don't think that it really did much for Deathly Hallows Part 2, but... No, but it it gives Luna a little bit of resolution for moviegoers. I I will say to me, my jury's kind of out about Neville's romantic history and how much of it was intentional in the books, but in the movie... It straight up came across to me as like convenience. We have these two sort of like primary characters or secondary characters that we see a lot. Neither of them is paired off. Let's do it. 
in like a last ditch effort to tie up all of the loose ends or what we perceive to be loose ends in the story. And there really hadn't been anything done in the movies to build up an idea of Neville and Luna. If they had decided they wanted to go that direction and they had actually built that relationship up as a movieism, I think I would have been okay with it. But it just felt random mm, the way they threw it, it into Deathly Hallows. Yeah, it, it was a bit random. I, I think if it would have been, it, it made sense to your point. I mean, you had these other two members of Dumbledore's army that really weren't paired up and and they were really the core members of Dumbledore's army, right? They're part of mm-hmm. the contingent that go to the Ministry of Magic in Order of the Phoenix. And so they're obviously spending a lot of time with each other. They they would have been together at uh, Hogwarts at least for the second half of the seventh year when when Harry, Ron, and Hermione aren't there. So it 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 makes sense. They're also kind of like the outsiders of of the group in a lot of ways. So yeah, it really resonates what Luna says about the DA being like they were they had friends. You know, I think people often see both Neville and Luna as not having so much going on outside of the DA. Well, they're both kind of seen as outcasts, right? So I yeah, feel like from exactly. a filming perspective, that was treated as an as a convenience. Mm. You know, and it's even in the Goblet of Fire movie, I had to look this up, but Neville takes Ginny to the Yule Ball. They could have mm-hmm. they could have like started shipping and, and Ginny goes to the order Department of Mysteries too. Um so Hermione, could- Ginny, Luna, Hannah. <laughs> Neville, man. Neville's a player, apparently. <laughs> yeah. We've discovered the the untouched secret. The the original plan was uh polyamory for Neville. <laughs> Can you imagine? Professor Sprout. He's just oh, a player. Sorry. Professor Sprout. <laughs> and also just to wrap up this sort of high-level overview of what we know about Neville. Um, he did briefly serve as an auror after Hogwarts prior to accepting the professor of herbology post. That's cool. That yeah. feels right. That feels like, you know, to become an or you can't just waltz in and apply for the job. You need tests. Uh, you know, Tonks talks about this. Um, there's extensive tests. And it's nice to know that Neville, with all the confidence he has coming out of year seven, would pass mm-hmm. all of those tests and then decide eh, it's, you know, it's not for me. I like the idea of him sort of trying to fill his father's shoes Aww. and then realizing he doesn't have to. Oh, yeah. 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 That's my happiest imagined outcome for Neville. That is really sweet. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about Neville's upbringing in a second. But first, this week's episode of MuggleCast helps people look as cool as Neville Longbottom defeating Nagini, Warby Parker. Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores, offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, eye exams, and contact lenses. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Sunglasses, progressives, and blue light lenses are also available. Warby Parker has a very cool feature called the Home Try-On Kit. This program is great. You get to pick out five pairs of glasses from their site, and they'll send you all of them for you to try on in the comfort of your own home. When they arrive, you stand in front of the mirror, you check yourself out as you try on each one, and you decide which you look coolest in, and then you keep those. Then you send the remaining four pairs back for free, or you send all five back for free. It's up to you. 
I did this the last time they sponsored us, and I loved the experience. It's a very easy and helpful process. The quiz helped me find the types of glasses that I liked. I picked out five I wanted to try, and I ended up keeping a pair. They're the Black Barclays, and I love them. Try Warby Parker's free home try-on program. Order five pairs of glasses to try at home for free for five days. There's no obligation to buy. They ship free, and they include a prepaid return shipping label to send the remaining four back. Try five pairs of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com slash mugglecast. Again, that's warbyparker.com slash mugglecast. Awesome. Thanks for that. Um, so we're going to continue this discussion by digging in on the impact of Neville's upbringing, something we alluded to a few moments ago. Um, but we know that because Frank and Alice Longbottom were not equipped to raise a child, he was raised by his paternal grandmother, Augusta Longbottom. And we've definitely discussed before on the show how Augusta constantly comparing Neville to Frank really stunted Neville's growth and confidence. So we don't have to spend a ton of time on that today because I found some other examples of um, things that Neville experienced as a child that happened with other family members than Augusta that also had an impact. So we can really dig in on these. <laughs> the remaining family members for Neville all kind of suck, actually. Yeah, right? I was reading this and I was like, oh my God, these people are terrible. They're all really bad. Yeah. So speaking of which, Eric, I'm wondering uh, if you can see this first quote under point A. Yes. Um, this happened in Sorcerer's Stone when the kids are all sitting in the Great Hall and they're sort of sharing their family histories. Yes, uh, Neville says, The family thought I was all muggle for ages. My great uncle Algy kept trying to catch me off my guard and force some magic out of me. He pushed me off the end of Blackpool Pier once. I nearly drowned, but nothing happened until I was eight. Great Uncle Algy came round for dinner, and he was hanging me out of an upstairs window by the ankles when my great auntie Enid offered him a meringue, and he accidentally let go. But I bounced all the way down to the garden and into the road. They were all really pleased. Gran was crying. She was so happy. Can you imagine being happy about that? The child who is under your care being dangled out a window? Can you imagine being offered a meringue and then just being so excited that Dropping you let go? Dropping a child. <laughs> yeah. It's so bizarre. And I mean, great uncle Algie sucks. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. That I was going to say, he good. is not the cool uncle that everybody likes. <laughs> no, not at all. Can you imagine being nearly drowned? Well, then what kind of, as a kid, you just, you have no control. You have no, like, there's nothing Neville could have done to, to have prevented that. It, it's just kind of you're always being hunted by your uncle. Every time the uncle comes over, you're either drowned or thrown out a window. And I wonder, though, it, it doesn't seem like Neville was really nurtured in the way that a child should be. And, you know, we, there are so many examples out there, obviously, of grandparents or aunts and uncles raising children and, and doing so in a loving and a caring way. And, and this just does not seem like it. I wonder... How early was the expectation level set for Neville to start showing signs of magic and doing the things that um, you know Augusta wanted him to do? It it just seems unfair in a way, and and that undoubtedly like that frustration probably comes from what happened to Frank, but it it just seems unfair to Neville. Yeah, and I wonder if the pressure was even more 
intense because Neville was an only child. You know, Frank and Alice, Mm. we don't know if they would have had other children, but they did not maintain their sanity long enough to have the choice to do so. So, you know, I think I don't think any of us are single children, um, but I have friends who are only children and the stress that comes with that of sort of being like the one person carrying on the family legacy, if that's something that your family cares a lot about, has to be really intense. And it's sort of amplified in this case because Neville had these amazing accomplished parents who lost all of that. And he's like the one remaining possibility for the Longbottom family to achieve anything notable, right? So I think that's where a lot of this comes from. They were so desperate for him to be special. He was just never allowed to find his own path or forge his own way. He was not like his entire childhood. But he does in the end. So at least there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Do we think that even if we assume that uh, if we flip the script and we assume that Augusta is a very nurturing grandmother and Neville's family is very embracing of him. Do we think that he might have still been doomed to feeling second best to Harry? Hmm. Do we ever? I mean, I don't think he ever really takes it out on Harry that he feels second best to Harry. He doesn't. And that's a testament to his character because Ron definitely takes it out on Harry. Uh, Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, just Neville most of the time is so busy being tortured by Draco Malfoy. Um, I'll, I'll re-say that. Neville's just so busy being taunted by Draco Malfoy most of the time. Um, you know, and Harry actually, for to his credit, uh, steps in a lot of the time. So it's like, I always felt more of like a, there's just a good friendship versus there's not really any rivalry between Harry and Neville. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with the fact that I don't think never was ever, Neville was ever told why his parents were targeted i don't think that he knows about the prophecy and i don't think and that's on dumbledore i think dumbledore didn't tell um anyone else it's does he ever find out do we ever get any confirmation one way or the other on that i doubt it does he listen to this podcast because if so, he just heard the prophecy like a half hour ago. <laughs> I'm Googling it right Andrew, now. Care to do a uh, retake of that? <laughs> no, just no. In case he's listening right now. Once, once a month. <laughs> but that actually, that raises an interesting question to me because we know that the Potters were well protected behind a Fidelius charm and Dumbledore himself offered to be the secret keeper. Um, you know, were the Longbottoms so heavily shielded? Because just a punk teenager and two more Death Eaters can find them and get to them. And even though Frank and Alice were, like I said, official aurors, they, I don't think were, were nearly half as protected. And Dumbledore had no way of knowing which kid Voldemort would go for. Yeah. yeah. The only thing I can think is that Dumbledore diverted resources to the Potters because he had confirmation from Snape that Voldemort was going to go after the Potters. Mm. But again... I'm still wrestling with this idea of people being like, yep, okay, there's two choices, and I think it's this one, so we're going to focus all resources on this one and sort of not to the other. Yeah, It strikes me as very odd that Dumbledore wouldn't do something for the Longbottoms. Especially because both of them, both teams thrice defied Voldemort. This is not an easy (laughs) thing to do. You know, so many people like Voldemort personally has to kill 
certain people we find out about in the later books. And it's like <laughs> they, they end up taking a lot of like other people with them. So to have these orders in Frank and Alice that also thrice defied Voldemort, you're going to as Dumbledore, the head of the Order of the Phoenix, you're going to want to protect Frank and Alice, even if they're not chosen. You want them in your circle because they're helping you defeat evil. Yeah. I mean, they're members of Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. So he kind of hung him out to dry, I think. Weird kind of Dumbledore discussion. But yeah, I think he he didn't do enough. Yeah, it just it still strikes me as odd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Old age. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we know and, and some folks have brought this up in the discord. We know that um, ultimately Bellatrix and the Death Eaters went and tortured Frank and Alice to try and find out if they knew anything about Voldemort's whereabouts after he vanished post his um, infant baby ass whooping <laughs> that he got, um, which, you know, goes to show that I think the Death Eaters were under the illusion that the Potters and the Longbottoms or like the Order of the Phoenix more largely were all uh, interconnected in such a way that they would have that information. Yeah. So it's just it's strange to me. It's like they kind of got treated like collateral damage in a way, and it had such an impact. But can you imagine this? Well, we already know how crazy Bellatrix is, but can you imagine the state of mind of somebody like Bellatrix after Voldemort has fallen? She She's probably just completely insane and is willing to yeah. do anything to get information and is probably not even listening to what Frank and Alice are saying. She's just completely off a rocker. So- yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. And with regard to Voldemort, um, we actually have another quote here that I pulled from the book. Um, this is uh, post, um, post-Voldemort altercation. Um, and I thought, Micah, you could read this for us. It's a Neville quote. We didn't face him, though. You did. You should hear my grand talk about you. That Harry Potter's got more backbone than the whole Ministry of Magic put together. She'd give anything to have you as a grandson. <laughs> that hurts to read. Yeah. No. How how affected is Neville by that? I guess I would need to read the whole passage or just refresh myself on this area of the story. But if ne- if Neville's willing to say that to Harry, how affected is he by it? You know, because like sometimes if something really bothers you, you don't want to mention it because then you're like, you're acknowledging it. You're validating it. I feel like at I, this point, he's like, what, 15, 16, and he's spent his whole life being made to feel like he's not enough. So he's probably numb to it. Yeah. 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 I, I always saw that, though, as a moment kind of, I think, Andrew, this might have been what you were alluding to. Like, like Neville is just giving props to Harry and, and almost showing that, you know, there's other people out there that would love to have Harry as part of their family. Yeah. Knowing probably what he's been through, the fact that he's lost his parents, the fact that you know, he lives with the Dursleys. So I always saw that as kind of a a nice moment between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you can look at it both ways. I th- and I think that it could be a case of multiple truths, right? Like he has this acknowledgement that he's not quite living up to expectations uh, in his grandmother's view, but at the same time, he recognizes that this might be uh, a heartwarming thing for Harry to hear that somebody else would consider him family. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Well, um, Augusta definitely gets hers a little bit later. So we find out in book uh, six when Professor McGonagall is handing out class schedules based on whether or not people passed owls in various subjects the previous year, that Neville was not going to be able to take Transfiguration because he only achieved an acceptable on his Transfiguration owl. And Professor McGonagall says, no, you wouldn't be able to handle the course load. Why are you trying to take Transfiguration anyway? You don't like it. And Neville muttered something about, well, my grandmother wants me to. And Professor McGonagall says, it's high time your grandmother learned to be proud of the grandson she's got rather than the one she thinks she ought to have, particularly after what happened at the ministry. Yeah, I love that. I love it because not only does she say it to Neville, mind, she's saying it in front of the whole table of Gryffindors because this is a weird thing, too. She's going around and assigning them schedules based on what their owl exam grades were so she's openly talking about what owls people passed and failed in front of everyone (laughs) yeah is it made up for by the fact that minerva is being um, maternal right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that she has the best intentions but this also just kind of strikes me as a very old school education educational approach that does not create a psychologically safe environment for the students that's fair (laughs) That's fair. Keep in mind, though, they do all attend the same classes and a lot of the classes are like, make this potion. And so everyone knows that Neville is like not going to be doing great at potions like they all kind of guess each other's grades. This reminds me, though, was there never a time when you were back in school where teachers used to post your grades up on like a board and you would go like maybe they did it by student ID as opposed it to had your like actual a number. Name. Yeah, yeah. 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 This line, though, is a great right. line that a lot of parents can probably remember. They're very hard on their kids and they need to learn to love them just as they are and not worry about the things that they don't like about them. Absolutely. And later in the same passage, uh, McGonagall notes that Neville achieved and exceeds expectations in charms, which would allow him to continue on to newt level charms in year six and seven. And I'm wondering, Andrew, if you could read this passage from McGonagall. So good. I'm laughing reading it. (laughs) Take charms, said Professor McGonagall, and I shall drop Augusta a line reminding her that just because she failed her charms, Al, the subject is not necessarily worthless. Smiling slightly at the look of delighted incredulity on Neville's face, Professor McGonagall tapped a blank schedule with the tip of her wand and handed it, now carrying details of his new classes, to Neville. So did Minerva and Augusta attend Hogwarts together? Uh, Yeah, they were probably roommates and they cannot stand one another. <laughs> <laughs> that fan well, we fiction. Know that, we know that Minerva and Professor Sprout were there at the same time. Oh, We've right. had that confirmed. And I was looking at Augusta's wiki page. It said she was born in 1947. Does that add up with the canon timeline, oh, not the Fantastic no. Beast timeline? I was going to say, because Minerva <laughs> was already a teacher for 20 years. Then. Yeah. <laughs> book timeline, book timeline. Uh, I just believe it because she's a generation removed from uh, all of the other Gryffindor's parents, right? So, you know, 
the um, at the time when Frank and Alice would have been at school is the same time that the Marauders and Harry's parents and Snape and all that. But Minerva's one more generation above, so that's when Augusta Neville's grand would have been there, and right, you know, Hagrid and Voldemort and Lucius. You know, yeah, all that. I mean, I've always looked at that quote as thinking that she's saying that as one of the professors to have been at the school when Augusta was taking the exams, but she just as easily could have been her classmate and learned about what she got on her owl. So, uh, and plus the fan fiction that I read going episodes back, they were roommates. So that's right. That's right. I didn't pull that from thin air. (laughs) Love it. But it makes sense. Curse child. Hey, at least the fanfic hasn't been cut down by two hours. So, you know, it's got that going Ooh, for it. Talking about that <laughs> next week. Was it too week. soon? Too soon? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but I like this idea that Minerva is very aware of her students' home situations. I mean, this quote does not come provoked based on Neville saying one thing. I have to think that she's been aware of Augusta's treatment of Neville for quite some time to say something like this. Yeah. And Minerva has reason to not like Neville. I mean, he's the one who left the list of passwords hanging around so that Sirius Black could get into Gryffindor dormitory and kill students. So she's had her moments with Neville, but this rare showing of sort of a maternal support um, goes to show that, you know, McGonagall does get it. And she knows that at least half of what's going on with Neville is put is because of the unrealistic expectations put on by a very domineering um, Gren. Well, this takes us into uh, a short discussion about Neville and the theme of belonging. It really seems as long as we've known Neville in the series that he really just longs to fit somewhere. Um, We know that he had a silent argument with the sorting hat to put him in Hufflepuff, Um, even though presumably he comes from a long line of Gryffindors. um, So maybe he didn't think that he could live up to the mantle of being a Gryffindor. Maybe it felt like too much pressure. Um, But do we think that Neville um, felt like he would be a better fit in Hufflepuff due to low self-esteem, for example. We know how Hufflepuff is portrayed early on in the books. Bunch of duffers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I think so, because, you know, he thought he was non-magical for a very long time, probably learned about Hogwarts from the lens of you'll never attend because you're, you're a squib, and then finds out he has magic, but I bet by then his confidence and self-esteem is so low that he knows already he's not going to be the warriors his parents both were. And so they were Gryffindors. Great. Um, I'm going to try for a house that has a, a more of a, an accepting kind of reputation. And that's Hufflepuff. It's like, I'll just go to school, but I just want to be in a house that'll have me. I'm not trying to be bold, daring, dashing, none of that. And so I can see why Hufflepuff would appeal to Neville more than Gryffindor, because Gryffindor comes with sort of a a sentence of you've got to live up to this, whereas Hufflepuff Mm. surely wouldn't. He just wants to be with Hannah. Well, I was going to say, actually, I mean, I really like this theory that Laura and Eric presented, but 
you could also maybe take it as a bit of foreshadowing, replacing the herbology teacher eventually, the head of Hufflepuff. I don't there, you, right. I think you could make an argument like that. Yeah. Well, That's true. and we have to remember Dumbledore says in book seven, sometimes I think we sort too young. Mm-hmm. So maybe if given the opportunity to be sorted as an adult, Neville would end up in Hufflepuff. Right. Yeah. It's, it is interesting, though, how early the tone is set on Hufflepuff. It's the <laughs> house that you don't want to be sorted into, yeah. even though Neville wants to be there. And it's it's like you were saying, Laura, it's, it's like a safety net for him, essentially, to go there because then yeah. there's really no expectation level, right, if he goes into Hufflepuff. People like to blame the fans for that negative Hufflepuff image because it is kind of a and it's running not. joke. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's it's not, after no. all, <laughs> when you're reminded of moments Draco like in, this. Draco in Madame Malkin's, when Harry first meets Draco, Draco says, I think I'd leave, wouldn't you, <laughs> if he's sorted into Hufflepuff. Like, unbelievable. We need a whole discussion on this. In defense of Hufflepuff, just like a whole episode. Uh, I'm on it, Andrew. Dedicated I to know. It. Well, thankfully, I think the fandom has evolved the conversation about Hufflepuffs to the point where yes. there's a lot more prominence. There's a lot more regard for them. But it would be really hard to argue that the books did not set a tone for Hufflepuff kind of being treated like the safety school option. Absolutely. But I, I think yeah. I think a, uh, a Hufflepuff perspective would sort of take pride in that too. They're not so elitist. Mm-hmm. Well, it's ultimately I think if we read over the original sorting song, um, you know, Hufflepuff said that she would take the rest and teach them all the same. I think that's the best quality. Yeah, of, no gatekeeping. Yeah, ah, yeah, exactly. Definitely fits in in the twenty twenty one world. <laughs> Um, And just for some evidence about Neville's sort of self-worth, his self-confidence, we knew that he was worried about being a squib even after he exhibited magical abilities at the age of eight. um, His family was still afraid that he wasn't magical enough to get into Hogwarts. Um, And he also expressed concern in Chamber of Secrets that the basilisk might attack him because of his own perceived low magical abilities. (laughs) Can you imagine that being like, I suck so much. This thing that's not even after me based on blood status is going to kill me because I suck. He just eats people who suck. That sounds like a good rumor that would go around school. (laughs) Oh, my God. It does. It's terrible. Awful. Well, I thought to relate to this theme of belonging, I'm wondering if any of us have ever had the experience of feeling like we don't belong somewhere or that others belong more than us. Yeah, definitely. And actually, this kind of ties into earlier when we were talking about Neville feeling like he's second best. I think we all go through that where we're in situations situations be it professional or personal maybe it's a party maybe it's a particular meeting at the office and we feel like we don't belong because maybe these people are more experienced than we are or they're just perceived in social circles as cooler than we are so yeah i've definitely i don't have like a specific i mean the classic example is the lunch table right like you don't feel like you belong in one lunch table one lunch table everybody else is cooler uh i felt that though very much so for sure. I think in third grade, I joined the chess club and I was very enthusiastic about playing chess. 
but I knew that I was not at all like I don't I didn't I wasn't strategic at it. I'm I'm still to this day I'm I love playing it, but I'm not you know I'm constantly surprised when a piece is taken because I don't think enough moves ahead. And I was very happy to draw. I think we did like a chess fair or something, and I drew like the border, the banner for it, like out of like on paper. I had a, a lot of fun time like being in the chess club. And fortunately, my skills didn't really have to be tested because it was really just a, I don't know, it was after school, but it was just a way for kids to have fun. But I very much felt kind of like an imposter even there. I felt like everyone around me was better at chess than I was, but I did just want to belong. Yeah, I remember I I always struggled with math as a child. It was not my preferred subject. And when I was in fifth grade, um, we took a standardized test. Like we took a practice test and then we took the actual real thing. And uh, I failed both of them. And not only did I fail both of them, I failed them both with the exact same score. Oh. Um, and I remember my teacher um he was great. He like showed me the scores and he was like, do you see a difference between these? And I was like, nope. And his answer to that was um, he ran an advanced math class after school club. And his answer to that was to encourage me to join this club. And I was like, no way. Like, I suck at this. Why would I join an advanced club? Mm. And his thought was that it would push me because I would want to sort of rise to the occasion to perform alongside the other kids in there. And it actually worked. Hmm. Whoa. I don't think it would work for everyone, but I think he felt pretty confident that it would work for me and my particular learning style. Um, But yeah, the imposter syndrome I felt when I (laughs) walked into that classroom uh, the first day I was like, I shouldn't be here. I don't belong here. These kids are way better than me. They're way smarter. Um, but in the end, I'm really glad that it worked out the way it did. Nice. Yeah, I I remember um, at my current job when I had first started out, this kind of goes with what Andrew was saying earlier about maybe you're in meetings that you don't really feel like you should be in because the other people in the room are just more senior to you. I remember going into the meeting and you know it was it was a small group of people it wasn't big or anything like that and um I happened to look over at the person sitting next to me and they were holding their phone and somebody from across the table had actually texted or messaged that person I think back at the time we were using blackberries and uh they said why is Micah in this meeting <laughs> So it, it like completely <gasps> oh, justified oh, everything that I was God. thinking. And uh, I remember going back like later to talk to the person who I reported into. And like, I relayed the story. It was probably like weeks or months after the fact. And kind of similar to what you said earlier, Laura, like they were just like, who cares whether or not they think you should be in the meeting, it shouldn't stop you from saying anything or speaking up. Like I wanted you in the meeting as the person who reports into me and that should be enough. Yeah. So damn that person sucks. Those people suck. (laughs) Whoever did that. It's amazing though. People think they're so slick. Like it's so much easier to get away with now being in like this virtual environment where you can message people on the side when you're in meetings. Uh, But when you're physically in a meeting with somebody you can't get away with that stuff. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'm always asking why Mike is on the meeting. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, why are you here recording today? Yeah. Uh, lo- professional <laughs> gatekeeping is just the worst. I always uh, think of this quote, it. and I think this relates from Michelle Obama. I think about it all the time. I've been at every powerful table you can think of. They are not that smart. That's a short sample of the quote. I took that to mean nobody is any better than you are. People may seem intimidating at first, but everyone has their flaws. Mm-hmm. And that makes you just as good as anyone else. So just remember that when you're feeling intimidated. We're all human, and you may be surprised by what even the most successful people in life actually lack. It's probably a lot. Well, it sounds like we're moving into a speech about sort of like propping Neville up, trying to motivate him, trying to give him confidence. And that's perfectly time because we do have some notable moments of development that Neville saw throughout the books. Yeah. I always think back to standing up to the trio when they wanted to sneak out in Sorcerer's Stone. And of course, this wasn't the first time that Neville had stood up to fellow students. But he, you know, as Dumbledore says, he stood up to his friends and that takes a lot of courage and you deserve house points for that. So I, I really I really admire that moment because we all know that it can be hard to stand up to friends. Absolutely. You're close yeah. to somebody. You don't want to tell them certain things. Sometimes you have to. And Neville did that time he did more than i would at 11 12 years old and he got petrified and was laying there stiff as a board yeah for how god knows how many hours miss angel hermione did it too (laughs) (laughs) and he still asked her out later on oh man see he he doesn't hold grudges just another thing to like about him there you go hufflepuff trait she was preparing him for uh chamber of secrets in case the basilisk uh Got it. Oh, you know? no. In case the basilisk did attack stupid people. That is mm-hmm. ironic that the following year she's the one who gets petrified. Karma's a bleep. Yeah. Yep. Another really big moment of development for Neville was definitely in Order of the Phoenix. Uh, we talked about this during our chapter by chapter discussion of Beyond the Veil, but just what did we refer to it as? Like a glow up for Neville? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. He just comes through as such a fierce ally. He's possibly the most Gryffindor of the bunch uh, during this particular series events in the ministry. Um, You know, he he just has these really great moments where, you know, you don't always have to use magic, right? He took his wand and he jammed it in a Death Eater's eye to save Harry. I mean, you know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Sorry, McNair. Yeah, not, not sorry, McNair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who cares about the method as long as you achieve the desired outcome? And we talked a little bit about this during that episode, but do we feel like JK Rowling intentionally took out the rest of the crew that was there in the ministry, at least for a period of time, right? We talked about how Hermione, Ginny, Luna all kind of get sidelined, Ron, obviously. To yeah. kind of push Neville to the forefront, because for a while there, it is Neville and Harry who are doing most of the battling. I think so. I think from a writing perspective, um, she knew that very shortly it was going to be revealed to Harry and to the reader that Neville could have potentially been the chosen one. Oh, so. Right. You know, it gave readers an opportunity to see them both at the forefront. I just wish it wasn't all comic relief the way he's like got a bloody nose, but is still talking through it. Dumbledore, Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Yeah, yeah, that got kind of annoying. 
<laughs> that was really annoying to read, actually. It was like, Neville, ooh, he sucks. <laughs> but probably one of the most important things that he does in this chapter is he faces the individual who is responsible for the torture of his parents in Bellatrix. I mean, he does get the Cruciatus curse for his efforts. So you know, he experiences the same curse that his parents did, but he still perseveres through it. Um, you know, he gets hit with a number of different spells. He finally loses his father's wand, which is probably a good thing. One good thing that comes out of this chapter. But um, yeah, I mean, he's really just at the forefront defending everybody and not backing down. And I don't think that's something that we've seen from him previously. Yeah. And I really think that moment where he loses his father's wand is a literary device to sort of represent him becoming his own person. It's like the first time he gets to sort of like, whether willingly or unwillingly, kind of thrust the expectations that are placed upon him away. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, and then one of the other moments was in Deathly Hallows, uh, confronting Voldemort after Harry has been supposedly killed. And you know, he's he's staring down the Dark Lord. And, you know, if we're going back to our conversation earlier, it could have just as easily been him in Hagrid's arms. Um, but in that moment, he chooses to to stand up to scream Dumbledore's army. Um, <laughs> and again, he pays the price, right? Just like with Bellatrix, Voldemort makes an example of him. He calls the sorting hat out, puts it on top of his head and lights it on fire uh, and, you know, it's another kind of defining moment for Neville before he finally destroys the last Horcrux. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, again, that's also something that I think is worth mentioning because he ultimately opens the door for Harry to defeat Voldemort. Yeah. He sets Harry up for the win. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I like the imagery, too, of... You know, Neville's sort of, we can assume, final interaction with the sorting hat being this, because in book one, when he gets sorted, he's so nervous that he literally runs away with the sorting hat still on and then has to run back up to deliver the sorting hat to the stool in front of everyone laughing at him. Um, so the fact that he's, you know, it really, I think, is reminiscent of his development arc, that he went from being highly nervous, not having very much confidence to literally having this thing put on his head and burned because he stood up to the darkest wizard of their age. That's a beautiful bookend. Yeah. All right. We'll talk about his movie portrayal in a moment. But first, it's time for a word from this week's sponsor, Ultimate Ears Fits, True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds. With how much we rely on our devices, it's easy to forget about the hardware that we're born with, like the ear. Just like fingerprints, no two are exactly alike. And your earbuds probably cause you some discomfort or even physical pain after wearing them for a while. And yet, we all continue to use the same handful of different headphones because there's no good solution. Or is there? Ultimate, I just I just sounded like Jeff Goldblum when I said that. Or is there? <laughs> Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds are tailored to your ears and no one else's, offering you excellent comfort. The first time you set them up, they will literally change shape to perfectly fit within your ears. 
They do this through a molding process. You can actually feel the earbuds gently warm up as they're molding to your ears. Then they light up purple, and that light makes the molds stay in place for good. There is nothing else like this out there, and it's such a good idea. Combine this with the sound masters at Ultimate Ears, and not only will they fit great, but you'll also get amazing sounds. These are built on industry-leading expertise, trusted by pro musicians and hi-fi enthusiasts for over 25 years. I am a nerd, so I was so excited to receive these, and they work exactly as promised. The setup process took me only a couple minutes, and I enjoyed watching the earbuds change colors in your ears as they were learning about my ears. They sound wonderful, feel comfortable, and they look great too. And rest easy, because if you try fits and don't love them as much as I do, no worries. Ultimate Ears offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. Plus, you'll get free shipping, free returns, and a one-year warranty. For a limited time, get 15% off your pair of Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Earbuds at ue.com slash fits. Just use promo code MuggleCast at checkout. That's 15% off with promo code MuggleCast at ue.com slash fits. All right, we're going to dig into uh, Neville's movie portrayal now. He's portrayed in the films by Matthew Lewis all the way through. So speaking of I feel like this is. Yeah, he did. (laughs) I feel like this is another achievement uh, for the films that they were able to largely keep the child cast. um, Absolutely. From movie one all the way through movie eight. And. I thought, though, we don't need to we're not here to critique Matthew Lewis. I think that he did a fine job as Neville. Um, But there are some notable changes in Neville's film portrayal. We talked about one a little bit earlier with uh, the film showing him having a romantic interest in Luna. Um, But there are also some things that had a pretty significant impact on the plot points in the books. Um, so we know in book one, Neville snuck out to try and warn Harry and Hermione that Draco was trying to get them caught while they smuggled Norbert out. And he actually is the one who got in trouble, something we don't get to see. Um, we also see that Neville was in the train compartment during the Dementor introduction in Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, the film makes it out as though it's just the trio and Lupin. It is not. Um, unfortunately, Neville, in talking about his experience in that compartment, is the reason that Draco finds out that Harry collapsed and thus starts uh. teasing Harry. Um, but, you know, it's completely unintentional. Um, again, we also know he asked Hermione to the Yule Ball and Goblet of Fire. In the movies, though, I think there were some notable things that were absent, including those prior book items. So no Frank and Alice or St. Mungo's shown in the films. And it feels like this was such a missed opportunity. It was. I totally agree. And I think there's actually an article out there where Matt Lewis talks about really wanting to have filmed this scene. Um, And both him and it was either Yates or Heyman, I'm forgetting which David, um, they had talked about it and they agreed after the fact that it was a huge miss. Um, it obviously would have been a great scene for for Matt to film as Neville with his parents. And it also would have just, I think, not that people didn't like Neville to begin with, right? I think they, they're all, most people are drawn to Neville's character, uh, but I think it would have really just been a great kind of on-screen moment for him. I do wonder, because the fifth movie came out the same year, the same month as book seven, 
if they knew what was going to happen in book seven, would that have changed this? Would they have put a scene like this in? Because I think it would have it would have added a lot to Neville's character leading up to defeating Nagini. I feel like the movies made the very conscious choice to omit a lot of Neville's storyline. I mean, we don't in the movies, we don't learn that Neville could have been the chosen one, right? I don't think that's a nuance that ever got Yeah, I guess not. discussed. I don't think so actually. Right. So right. I wonder if with that decision a lot of Neville's character development got scrapped. Yeah. Again, I think maybe if they knew where it was going, maybe they they would have included a lot of that character development because they couldn't change who killed Nagini. It had to be Neville in the movie. Right. right? But the significance of him killing Nagini is completely lost if you don't have that context. Yeah. Right. right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if they knew what was going to happen in book seven, maybe they would have added more of Neville's story in. Yeah. I feel like they had also kind of set him up to just be comic relief in the films. Definitely. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can kind of get into that by remembering when Neville worked as a butler to get into Slughorn's Christmas <laughs> party in the Half-Blood Prince film. Oh, right. Yeah. Hated this. <laughs> I hated it so much. The TV show will fix these problems. We'll get Neville's story and no Butler Neville. And just to go back for a second to the whole, um, you know, Frank and Alice, how it plays out in the movies. Like I'm even remembering how Bellatrix first meets Neville. She's like, how's mom and dad? You know, like it's Mm -hmm. it's almost played off as like it's a joke and i feel like if they would have set it up better earlier on in the movie you would have realized just how kind of painful of a moment that was for neville i mean i know he's got the moment with harry in the room of requirement with the photo of the order and that's kind of how he explains it i think it's not long after bellatrix breaks out of azkaban and it works for the movie but i feel like it would have been a much better scene inside of saint mungo's we never go to St. Mungo's, do we? No. no. Budget, pacing, Yates. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could we could definitely dig through all kinds of examples of Neville's portrayal in the book versus the movies, but I wanted to just get a t- quick take from the panel. Um, do we think that the films position Neville's character to be the same character that we know and love from the books? That's complicated. They captured some elements of Neville for for sure, just not the best ones. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. I, te- I I I'm of two minds because I think coming to the movies first, I found that having him be acted and by Matt Lewis um, really softens some of the Neville moments I would normally feel like annoyed by. I'm like, oh Neville, this guy, come come on. Um, yeah. So there's that. But I do think that all of the characters by the end of the movie series are worse for the fact that it's been adapted into the movies that they were making. If you're not the trio, your arc and maybe various fundamental character moments or character bits about you were sacrificed for pacing or time. I mean, Neville gets a fair amount of screen time in in most of the films, right? If you're thinking outside of the trio, he's probably one that gets a fair amount but i i often just feel like he was played off as being a bit of a doofus like even more comic relief at times than ron is 
And like, I'm thinking of the Goblet of Fire scene in the second task, like, oh my God, I killed Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, he did on that when same in, film. When in the though, book, he did, he's not even the one who gives him the gillyweed in the book. On on that scene, or sorry, in that film, he does inspire my favorite piece of musical score, though, Neville Waltz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, they give him a waltz. <laughs> They're like, yep. here's the lame character. What? We're giving him a waltz. Waltzes are hard. But yeah, but he's also learn. a teenager. Like, yeah, can you imagine sexy. being a teenager? Would you want? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Would you want someone no, to tell true. you, "I've it's not a composed a waltz for you"? <laughs> to bring us home today, I thought we could revisit this "what if" point that we surfaced briefly at the beginning of the show. What if Neville was the chosen one? Let's assume all the circumstances are the same. He's at home with Frank and Alice. Voldemort breaks into their home, kills his parents. Alice sacrifices herself to save Neville. Spell rebounds. Neville's got the scar or something on his forehead. Um, What would that mean for Neville's upbringing and how would it impact the series? I know we talked a lot about how the Longbottoms kind of all suck uh, to to Neville (laughs) and suck at him and suck to him but i really think that if he had been the chosen one um and had you know it's it's due to neville as an infant that voldemort's power was broken and the house was destroyed his family that we know as being very hard on him would have immediately or would have been different people like because although he would have presumably been delayed in showing his magical talent to roughly the same period of time either way the difference is he would have done something, right? The difference is Voldemort would have been defeated because of this boy. And so I think his family would have immediately gone into the more almost like covering up for him mode if it turned because like the expectations are high. He's in a wizarding family. Everybody's going to want to see like him age six do some uh, remarkable feat of magic, you know, around the, the reunion table or something. I feel like his family would have immediately gone in to protect him. Because their honor is on the line, right? Mm. And so instead, he would have been encouraged much sooner to follow the path that made the most sense for him. And I think somebody like Augusta would have actually learned what kind of a person he was first instead of forcing him to be somebody else because they'd have that victory, that initial victory against Voldemort. I like but that. can somebody like Augusta even exist? If if we're saying all things equal, I don't think Augusta or Great Uncle Algy or any of them can exist. Neville has to be raised in some other fashion, no? Well, why? Yeah, I don't because it's so. really just that it's it, the question is like if Voldemort well, Harry chose, doesn't have anybody but his aunt, right? But if Harry, if it did just like let's just say if Voldemort chose to go after the Longbottom boy instead of the Potter boy. You know, Augusta, Algy are all still there. Yeah, it doesn't matter who the family is around Yeah, I mean, him. they would have well, been his it's... closest living kin. I think also, Eric, to your point, Augusta would have a newfound appreciation for Neville too, having almost lost him. Yeah. You know. Mm, there you go. You don't know what you got till it's gone. Right. Or almost killed by the Dark Lord. Do you feel like it could have almost been a different kind of pressure, though? I mean... <laughs> Now you have to defeat Voldemort, kid. <laughs> yeah, like you defeated Voldemort as an infant, so now we really are expecting great things from right. you. You have to do it twice in one lifetime. Maybe, yeah. maybe. 
But then this also just this whole scenario raises so many questions like who would Neville's friends have been? Would he have had two very close friends with him throughout the series? Can we jump to my point? What would Dumbledore's relationship be like with him? You know, that's like a huge question. Well, I want to know what Dumbledore's relationship with Harry would be like. He, if he Nothing. treats him just like he treats Neville, like non-existent relationship, can you imagine? Yeah, just like any other, he'd be any other student. He'd be any other student. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, Stephanie in the Discord is raising a point that I think supports what you were alluding to earlier, Micah, which is that if all things are equal and it's a mother's love that saved Neville, he would need the blood magic from his maternal or like the maternal side of his family, Augusta is his paternal side of the family. So Dumbledore well, would have had to ensure that he go to one of Alice's relatives. I think is, is that what you were saying, Micah? Yeah, sure. Yes. No, no, in part, in a way, yes. But I think Stephanie meets, makes the point a lot clearer. Yeah. I, I wonder what Alice's family is like. Yeah. You know, I wonder who, who they are, how, how they feel about Neville. Um, but what, I think Dumbledore just would have had to do a different kind of protection, you know, like bits and bobs here, here and there. Who's the mm. Aunt Marge on Neville's side? Uh, <laughs> probably Uncle Algie. Yeah, there you go. Imagine but, Snape teaching Neville occlumency. I can't. Well, and you also wonder, because I was wondering that too, like would Neville be stubborn in, in terms of his lessons or would he actually go with it? And, you know, really work to close his mind out to Voldemort. Mm. I think he would. We don't. Yeah, we don't hear about Frank Longbottom and Snape having beef. So maybe he would have gotten a quality education from Snape. Oh, Neville would. That's a very important factor as Mm. well. Yeah. Everything changes. Or is Snape even a factor here anymore? Oh, that's true. Everything changes. I mean, imagine if it was James and Lily in St. Mungo's and Snape was pining after Lily still while she's in a mental hospital. Snape would have been working for the for Mungo's as like a healer (laughs) of some sort instead. It's Sprout who's in love with Frank. (laughs) You have his eyes. (laughs) Sprout is the Snape allegory. I love that. That's crazy. Uh, I think what this tells us is we need a long bottom family tree. Do we have that? Somewhere, probably. And there has to be fan fiction with this idea, right? If if Neville is the chosen one, because now I want to read all of that. You know, we spoke about Mm -hmm. how like what Harry Potter spinoffs could be, and we spoke about Stephanie Meyer, Life and Death. This should be the alternate universe Harry Potter series that is written. What if Neville was the chosen one? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm still just trying to wrap my head around like what it does to the like perception of the Longbottom family in the wizarding world, right? Like they're a pure blood family that would have taken down Voldemort. How does that all play itself out? That can make it worse for like race relations or like, you know, pure blood, half blood, all that other stuff. Either Mm. that, or it's a signal that like a very prominent pure blood family has taken a strong stance against Voldemort and his terror of blood purity that he's raining down upon the world. Oh, wait. Yeah. Neville's pure blood, which means Alice's parents are witches and wizards. So they're wizarding family. Like, how do we never hear about Alice's side? That's crazy. Hmm. It is so odd. 
Yeah. Uh, and then, Andrew, I think you have a, a note here about Neville's scar. <laughs> what would Neville's scar have been? <laughs> would it have been mm. a lightning bolt? Would it have it been like have a been leaf? It would have been a Mimbus Mimbletonia. There leaf. you go. Def- <laughs> definitely a leaf. <laughs> a burning yeah. sorting hat. The sword of Gryffindor. A snake. <laughs> a toad. Uh, a, a pipe. Toad. So many options. I would really love this. And honestly, this is why... I again, I know I harp on this point, but I love the idea of other creators being able to get into this space and produce other kinds of content. I mean, I'm a big MCU fan. I don't think this is a surprise to anyone, but I'm so looking forward to uh, the Disney Plus What If show that's coming Mm. out here in August, showing all of these alternate realities like what if T'Challa had been you know, abducted and he became Star-Lord instead of the King of Wakanda. I love all of these different alternate takes. And I feel like if, you know, the executives at WB would allow it to be so, there could just be endless storytelling for the Wizarding World. It really lends itself to that. Mm -hmm. I would watch this show. I would read this book. (laughs) Definitely. And listeners, if you have any feedback about any of this do let us know mugglecast on social media mugglecast at gmail.com contact form on mugglecast.com all the ways i guess we're gonna wrap it up then yep we can uh raise a glass to neville longbottom the boy who lived the boy who lived (laughs) the other boy who lived the second best boy who lived no i can't say that All right. That was a lot of fun. Great discussion. Like I said, numerous ways to contact us. So please do if you have any feedback about today's episode. And next week's episode will be a Muggle Mail episode. So get your feedback in now. It's time for Quizzage. Last week's question. Five years after Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, the franchise was continued with the first Fantastic Beasts film. What is the first spoken sentence of Fantastic Beasts? The correct answer, and I have my copy of the uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them script book here, is Dougal, you settle down now, please. And some people added, it won't be long. <laughs> correct answers were submitted to us by, oh boy, here we go, Aslan Armus, Huffle Puffle, Lord Lasagna, Booba Tuber Puss, Tuesday Adams, Just Amanda, Kulami Bezu, Peace and Love, I Am the Carrot You Grew in Sixth Grade and I Am Coming to Avenge My Eaten Friends, Dumbledore's Sock Knitter, Must Be a Weasley, and one very long one I'll trouble us all by reading, Humanity Has Only One Option, Start a Potato War, Both Sides Rally, Collecting Potato Guns, Starch Destroyers, (laughs) Tune in next week for the winner. I'm scared of potatoes now. Jury's out on whether we'll put a stop to all those long names, right? We ask that everyone. I'm going to stop acknowledging these names because to acknowledge them is to encourage them. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With peace I and love, them. peace and love. I feel like half the fun of this segment are the names. I just yeah. hope these are unique people and not one person submitting <laughs> 10 different oh, names I, with the same you answer. You know what? Maybe I should make the form B that you have to sign in so we can prevent that. Maybe. Uh, oh, is no, it that no. serious? No, no, no. We're sitting here reading the same person 10 times potentially. <laughs> Tuesday, Adams. Yeah, but what we don't know doesn't hurt us. <laughs> it takes up time, though. <laughs> it, it does take a precious, precious time. Precious time. Are we ready for next week's question? Yes. 
right after impersonating Neville Longbottom during his ride on the night bus, Harry bumps into the real Neville outside Flourish and Blots. What is Neville looking for in this moment? And that's from Prisoner of Azkaban. I mentioned written ways you can get in touch with us, but if you call 1-920-3-MUGGLE, that's 1-920-368-4453, you can call us. You can also record a voice memo on your phone and send that to mugglecast at gmail.com. No matter how you call us, just try to keep your message about a minute long and record in a quieter environment, please. And like I said, next week's episode, Muggle Mail episode. So get that feedback in now, please. Also, a couple other reminders. We would love your support at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You get bonus MuggleCast. You get a new physical gift every year. You get our planning docs. You get our live streams. You get ad-free MuggleCast. You get all kinds of things. Personalized video thank you message. That benefit should really lead because it's one of our favorite benefits. It's just such a cool benefit, we think. So again, that's patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We would also appreciate if you followed MuggleCast for free in whatever app you use to listen to the show so you never miss an episode. Speaking of your podcasting app, if they have a review system, we would appreciate if you left a little review to help new listeners learn about us. And again, MuggleCast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. By the way, Facebook is adding a podcast feature. If you want to spend more time in Facebook, you can now listen to MuggleCast within the Facebook app. And you hit play, and it'll still play as you browse Facebook and as you switch apps, too. So something to let people know about. I don't know. We'll see if it takes off. They're a little late to the party, aren't they? A little late to the party. (laughs) Better late than never. I would like to see people be able to, like, share clips and stuff. Hopefully they add something like that. Thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye, Bye, y'all.